Are you a mom launching kids into adulthood? If so, you need to know about my Empty Nest Mom Retreat. It is the gathering for moms who have at least one child over the age of 18 or who have launched them all and have a full empty nest. September 27th through the 29th are the dates, and Cedar Lake Retreat Center in Cedar Lake, Indiana is the place. You can fly into Chicago airports and drive to Cedar Lake in a little over an hour. Come join me. Best Value Registration is available through May 27th, and space is limited to just 100 moms, so don't delay. Check out jillsavage.org slash retreat to register today. Life is about holding it all loosely and learning to let go. And when we're able to welcome our pain and embrace our pain and welcome and embrace the hard things that happen to us, that's where we can begin to let them go. You're listening to the No More Perfect Podcast, where we talk about strengthening the relationships that mean the most to you. I'm Jill Savage, and I live in normal Illinois. I'm committed to talking honestly about the messy, less than perfect, but normal stuff of life. I'm so glad you've joined me. Well, hello, friends, and welcome back to the No More Perfect Podcast. You know, sometimes life can turn on a dime. Sometimes it looks like a diagnosis, a decision a loved one makes, or dreadful news that's delivered when you least expect it. And suddenly your well-ordered world is turned upside down. Everything looks dark and the pain is tangible. You wonder if life can ever be beautiful again. My guest today understands this. Kayla Steckline is an author, a speaker, and a mental health advocate. She became an unexpected widow in August of 2018 when her husband, Andrew, the pastor of their large church in California, died by suicide. With three young boys also grieving and a heart full of pain, it became her mission to bring hope and help to others who have faced unexpected hardships. Her newest book, Rebuilding Beautiful, shows people that when life is hard, you not only have a purpose, but that you can build a beautiful life once again. We'll be talking about a lot more than suicide today, but the content of this episode may be emotionally challenging for those who have been touched by suicide. And I always want to let you know in advance when potentially triggering materials being discussed. With that in mind, let's get to this important conversation. Welcome to the No More Perfect Podcast, Kayla. Thanks so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Well, I have followed you on Instagram for several years. I read your first book, Fear Gone Wild, in 2020. And you have really openly shared your story and your emotional journey, even when it was very, very fresh for you. Why has it been important for you to share that journey with others? Yeah. From the very beginning, I felt compelled. You know, our story had gone viral and um, it was shared all over the world. And so I was really handed this microphone and I felt compelled to pick it up. I felt compelled to tell the story from my point of view. My story was going to be told for me no matter what. And so I felt like it was really important for Andrew's life to be defined by the way he lived, not just the way he died. And so 
I just felt super inspired and um, excited to talk about, not excited, it's probably not the right word, but um, mm-hmm. I wanted to reframe the way that people, especially in the big C church, look at suicide and look at depression and look at mental health. And so I was just sharing from the very beginning, some of the things that I was learning um, about suicide, some of the lessons that I learned, some of the things that I had done wrong that I wish I would have done differently, mm-hmm. all with the hope that maybe something that I shared would literally save somebody's life. And I know that it did. I know that God has used our story for good from the very beginning. And, you know, right away I received messages and letters and emails and Instagram messages from people who were totally touched by something that I wrote or something that I shared and God just tugged on their heart and they decided not to pull the trigger. They decided to check themselves into rehab or they decided to finally open up and share how bad their depression really was or how real their suicidal thoughts really were. And so I was able to see from the very beginning that it was so much bigger than me, what God was up to, what God was doing, how he was redeeming our story was so much bigger than me. And I just got to play a small part in it. And so, um, I couldn't help but share. And for the last four years I have been, you know, I've been sharing our story of not just losing Andrew and the lessons I've learned from suicide, um, but also just what, what does it look like? What does it feel like, um, to rebuild a life after loss and really answering the question for myself and for other people that are looking in, like, can life be beautiful again? And so it's been a journey And that mantra of my second book, the title of my second book, Rebuilding Beautiful has really been this mantra that I've adapted um, in the midst of it all that I deeply believe that yes, life looks completely different today than it did over four years ago. And it's a completely different version of beautiful than it was four years ago. Um, But it is still breathtakingly beautiful and incredible and mysterious and wonderful and terrible, all tangled (laughs) and twisted together. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yes. So let's um, let's kind of break our conversation into two parts, if you're okay with that, and kind of talk a little bit about your Fear Gone Wild book, which was the first one that I, I read. Um, and, and that was the one where you really were shining the light on mental health, on suicide. Um, and you, you know, it's a, it's a memoir, you're telling the story, um, but uh, then let's transition to uh, rebuilding beautiful and uh, and talk through that. So, uh, you know, you've learned uh, a lot in the last four years about mental health, about uh, suicide. Um, what what do you want people to know specifically mm-hmm. that you wish you would have known five years ago, six yeah. years ago? Uh, what do you want people to know about that? Our journey, I know everyone's journey with mental illness is so unique and our journey was fast. Andrew was diagnosed in April of 2018 and then diagnosed with depression in April of 2018 and then died by suicide in August of 2018. And so it was a really fast journey. There was so much to learn um, and we were trying to catch up and it's like right when we realized 
oh, this is pretty bad. Like, oh, he needs more help than I think we thought he needed. Oh, he's way sicker than I think we all realized that he was. Right when we realized all of that is when he when he died. And so, you know, I think I felt compelled right after he passed away to start sharing some of the lessons that I learned. And I think the biggest um, lesson that I learned through all of it is that if anybody talks about suicide, it's time to take it seriously. And there mm-hmm. was a moment when Andrew was alive, when he was struggling with depression during that summer, he was on a sabbatical and we were doing everything we knew to do to heal his mind. Um, he was a pastor, so he was taking time off work. He was seeing a psychiatrist. He was taking medication. We were seeing a therapist together for two hours every single week. He was spending time with mentors. He was resting and we were praying like we, you name it. We tried it. We were doing everything we knew to do to help him. Mm. And in the midst of all of that, he was really struggling. And we had this moment at the kitchen counter one night after the boys had gone to bed, we had three little boys um, who were just two, four and five years old at the time. So our house wasn't the most peaceful, restful (laughs) environment. Um, I really, most days for me were spent trying to keep the boys away from the bedroom so that their dad could rest. And it was really hard, difficult, um, exhausting summer for all of us. And so there was a night after the boys had gone to bed and we were sitting at the kitchen counter and I was venting to Andrew and I was telling him about my frustrations and I was feeling, you know, worn out and tired and I was running on empty. And he, for, for him, that was just a wide open door for him to be vulnerable about how he was feeling too. And so he started sharing about how he had been struggling with suicidal thoughts and he was up the night before and he was looking at some of his staff or organization charts and he was feeling overwhelmed and he thought about killing himself. And in that moment, I was so emotionally drained and exhausted that I just totally reacted. I didn't respond from a place of love. I didn't respond with a gentle answer, a gentle heart. I literally just totally reacted out of my own exhaustion and said all the things you're not supposed to say to somebody that's struggling with suicidal thoughts. I told him he was selfish. I told him it would never happen. I told him he would never do that to me and the kids. And I never brought it up again. And I didn't tell anybody about it. I didn't clue in the team of doctors. I didn't clue in any family members. I literally just brushed it off as no big deal and truly thought it would never happen. And I know I'm not the only one. I know for a lot of people um, that find themselves in those conversations on the receiving end of a conversation like that, I think they react, you know, similarly, it's like how, if you've never struggled with suicidal thoughts, then you just truly cannot understand what it's like to be that close to the edge of yourself. And so in that moment, I wish I would have um, responded differently. I wish I would have leaned in. I wish I would have asked questions, questions like, do you have a suicide plan? What problem are you trying to solve through suicide? How far have you researched it? How often do you think about it? I wish I would have picked up the phone and called the suicide hotline number, texted the crisis text line and said, hey, my husband said this to me. What do I do? Who do I talk to? How do I help him? I wish I would have clued in the team of doctors. I wish I would have clued in some key family members and close friends. Um, If anything, I've learned that mental illness has to be treated as a team and it can't be um, those kind of thoughts um, that 
you know, that's when, that's when depression becomes dangerous when someone becomes suicidal. And it's like, that's when it's time to, even though we already had a team and we had doctors and we had other people that were helping him. It's like, that's when it's time to be totally and completely honest um, with the people that are on your team with those doctors, even though it can feel, you know, I think oftentimes the word suicide makes us feel super uncomfortable and it's not only uncomfortable for the loved ones. It's also, I think, really uncomfortable for the person who's being vulnerable and opening up about their own dark thoughts. And I think Andrew probably felt just as as uncomfortable as I did. And so he never brought it up again. I never brought it up again. We didn't clue anybody in on the conversation. And then just a few months later, he died. And Mm -hmm. I was shocked. And I really, truly never saw it coming, even though he was reaching out trying to help. And so as I've um, written the book and, you know, traveled and talked about our story that is one of the key things i always like to touch on is just like if anybody ever talks to you about their deepest darkest thoughts and clues you in on how they're really feeling and invites you into that deep part of their pain like it is time to lean in it is time to take it seriously it is time to reach out for help and it is time to ask about it over and over and over it's time to get comfortable with the word suicide and say the word suicide out loud and um, totally just be there and be as supportive and loving and kind as you can be. And that might mean taking time for yourself so that you can fill up your own cup so that you can keep pouring out from a place um, that's not empty, but from a place that's full. Yeah. Oh, thank you. That is so wise. So, so wise. We, um, we have a, uh, one of our, our sons, our adopted son has struggled with, uh, suicidal ideation and we have had to learn those lessons, uh, the hard way. And, um, he has had several, um, suicide attempts that were unsuccessful, um, which of course we are grateful for, but, uh, it wasn't easy to learn how to talk about it. So I really appreciate you saying that um, you do take it seriously. And um, and there are a lot of resources out there to help people, but you're right. Every Everything looks unique. So what you're looking for is the common denominator is when people are thinking about it, you take it seriously. When they have said something about it, you take it seriously. So appreciate that. So um So the unthinkable happens in your life and your world is completely turned upside down. And you not only are dealing with your own pain, but you're dealing with your kid's pain, which is deep. Talk about, talk about what, looking back, what did you do during that dark season? And if somebody is in a dark, painful season, right now, what do you believe is the most important thing for them to do in that dark season? I gave myself the gift of time and space. And I know that that is a huge privilege and not everybody can do that in their season of life. But, um, you know, thankfully I was able to work from home and that book that I wrote was for my healing. And I wrote that during the first year of grief. And so I was able to create space, um, for myself to write, um, for myself to go to therapy. I went to therapy for an hour every single week and just had a safe, neutral space to be completely and totally honest. And I think therapy only works if you're willing to be completely and totally 
honest. And I had it on the calendar, whether I thought I needed it or not. I had it on like every Thursday for an hour. And there were, there were many Thursdays, many of those therapy sessions where something happened the day before something happened that morning. There was one in particular where Andrew's headstone was installed. Literally that morning, I got a text from my mother-in-law saying Andrew's headstones installed today. And I was able to go to the cemetery, see the headstone, and then go straight to therapy and process what, what I had just experienced. And so it was such a gift um, to do that. I put my three boys in full-time school and I um, gave them the gift of a healthy mom. I gave them a gift of a mom who was willing to show up for the hard work of healing. And while they had a safe space at school to be with friends and teachers that loved them, they were at an amazing private Christian school and they went full time, like 7.30 to 4.30 every single day. I needed time to figure out life. I needed time to figure out what, where are we going to go next? I described what happened. um, Like Andrew was in the driver's seat of life. And I was sitting in the passenger seat and he was full of vision. He knew where we were headed. My identity and my world was so wrapped up in who he was. And he was a leader of our home. And it's like, he passed away. And all of a sudden life invited me to slide over into the driver's seat. And I have three little boys sitting in the back row asking mommy, where are we going next? And so Mm -hmm. I needed to figure out the answer to that question. And that required uh, me to have some space. And so I put them in full-time school. I did lots of writing, lots of therapy, lots of reading. I read a ton of books and I just embraced my pain as much as I possibly could. I took a deep dive into my pain and I know that's really hard. I know that it's really, really difficult to welcome and embrace our pain because it's painful, (laughs) because it hurts, because it hurts so much. And we've been taught in America to avoid pain. Our culture doesn't like pain. We like to avoid pain. We like to prescribe things for pain. We like to just take away the pain at all costs. And so so actually to sit in it and welcome it and embrace it and feel it takes a wild amount of courage and tenacity um, and just like willingness to just soak in it. And it's extremely painful. So I, I, um, I read one of the books that I read during that first year of grief is called A Grace Disguised. It's a beautiful book for anybody that's in a season of grief. And there's this quote in the book where um, the author, Jerry Sitzer, talks about the, the fastest way to reach the sunrise isn't to head west chasing the sunset, but it's to head east plunging into the darkness until you reach the sunrise. And so it takes that deep dive into the darkness. It takes, um, you know, going straight into the pain, I feel like to fully be able to heal. And when we do that, when we allow our pain to transform us, I deeply believe it can become one of the greatest teachers of our lives. And I know my pain has, um, my pain has opened my eyes to see this like deeper stream of humanity that I never had access to before. I had no idea that there were people all around me all the time that had unseen pain. I had no idea what it felt like to really feel that deep pain. I'd never felt deep pain like that. I thought I knew (laughs) I had Mm -hmm. lost loved ones. I had lost my father-in-law, I'd lost grandparents, I'd lost pets, but I really truly did not understand, um, the depths of pain and pain is pain is pain. And when we've gone through something really difficult and painful and horrific, um, it gives us just a heart full of empathy and compassion for others that are walking through things that are painful too. Mm. So 
Uh, a lot of things. Yeah. And that first year of grief, um, but giving myself the space to feel whatever I needed to feel, giving my sp- myself the space to welcome whatever feelings I needed to welcome um, was probably the greatest gift I could have given myself and given my children. Yes. Yes. So wise. So very wise. Now, before we leave that part of your story, uh, I, I have one more question and that is looking back as you were navigating the unthinkable, what were the most helpful things that other people did for you? Because I think a lot of times we don't know what to do when someone is hurting deeply. And, uh, you know, the, 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 usually the um, default is, well, let me know what you need. But yeah. having been through some pretty deep crises myself, I know that's the most ineffective offer of help because quite frankly, you don't even know what you need. So what were some of the most practical and powerful things that the people, that people around you did for you that was helpful during that particularly like that first year? Yeah, practically, I think it's replacing that question or that comment. Let me know what you need with how can I serve you? Um, and seeing, you know, how, how can I changing the way that we approach and, um, love people that are in a painful season is, is through service and it isn't through, um, Hey, let me put something else on your to-do list. Just let me know, you know, let me know when you need me. It's like, actually it's through service. And so some of the most helpful things people did was come over to my house and clean my house, fill up my pantry with food, go to the grocery store for me, go to Costco for me. I had three little kids that still needed to eat. Even if I didn't feel like eating, I had three little kids that still needed to eat. And that was super helpful. There was a meal train that was really helpful. So they didn't have to think about meals. Um, but I think also the most memorable moments I have um, where friends were with me um, was when they showed up without an agenda and they simply showed up with their presence. And I think so often we don't know how to respond to pain. If we haven't walked through pain ourselves, we have no idea. It feels uncomfortable. We can feel like we need to come with an agenda or a list of Bible verses or all the right things to say. And it can honestly make us stay away because of the fear of saying the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And so I think showing up without an agenda, showing up without a, without a list of Bible verses, showing up without, um, you know, trying to have all the right things to say and simply showing up with your presence can be um, one of the most powerful gifts that you can give to people that are in a season of pain or in a season of grief. I had this moment with one of my best friends. It was in those first few weeks. I had just got done putting the kids to bed. My kids were too four and five. So they were still very young and it was, you know, just life just kept on going. There's no pause button for widows that have Mm -hmm. young children. And I had just gotten done putting my kids to bed and I came out to the living room and I just collapsed on the floor. I mean, just fully just laid flat on the floor and was just crying out in pain. And my best friend was over and she came over to me and she just laid on top of me and wept with me. And she didn't try to say the right thing. She didn't try to pray for me. She didn't try to fix my pain. She didn't try to take away from my, my pain. She simply just shared in my suffering. And I think one of the greatest gifts we can give people who are suffering is to share in the suffering. And when we do that, the pain is shared and lifted. It's truly shared and lifted. She was able to share and lift my pain in that moment. And I didn't feel so alone and it didn't feel so painful because she was in it with me. Yeah. So powerful. I think, um, 
sorry, that just brought back a moment for me. Um, uh, it was uh, 10 years ago when my husband went through his own personal crisis and um, left. And I had a friend that spent the night with me. And in the middle of the night, I was crying. And uh, she simply came in the room and laid down in the bed and held me. There are no words in those moments, right? There are no words. And so um, I think a lot of times we struggle knowing what to say. And the truth is, there isn't anything to say. So I think that's really, really powerful. And um, it's a good reminder to those of us that are either walking with someone who is going through something hard, or at some point we will walk with someone who's going through something hard if we have relationships in this broken world. So such a good reminder. Thank you. So let's turn the corner. Um, You say in writing Rebuilding Beautiful that the journey from agony to awe takes time, but that we can move from heartache to a life that's a new kind of beautiful. So let's talk about what that journey looks like. And really, you've covered one of the very first steps, and that is acknowledging the pain, diving deep into the pain, getting help with the pain, processing the pain. So that has to be done. You can't just skip over that. You can't just Pollyanna it. It has to be done. But then as, as you begin to do that, what are some next steps that need to happen as you are rebuilding beautiful in your life? Yeah. So in my book, in the new book, Rebuilding Beautiful, I broke down the rebuilding beautiful process, what it's been like for me into five processes. And those five processes are embrace, heal, explore, dream, and live. So I feel like we did touch on the first two, embrace and heal and what that looks like. And the last three, I feel like are where it gets fun, Um, explore, dream, and live. And, you know, it's like, okay, I've embraced my pain. I've showed up for therapy. I've done the hard work of healing. I've felt every feeling that I've needed to feel. And I know I'm going to continue to feel as I continue to heal and move forward with my life because all of us that have gone through pain know that it's not something we leave behind. It's something that moves forward with us and we learn how to live with it. And so I know that I'm not, it's not like a one and done, like, oh, gone through that. I'm good to go forever. It's like, no. carry it forward with me. And it's just as tender and, um, painful, you know, even 10 years down the road than it was that very first day. But, um, yeah, explore and dream and live. I feel like is where it gets fun. And for me, exploring has looked like exploring my new identity of like, okay, if my whole world was wrapped up in who Andrew was, then it's asking myself the question. And I think all of us, after we've gone through something that's totally changed our life, it's asking ourselves the question, who am I now on the other side of that experience? How has that experience changed me? Who do I want to become? Um, Um, And I think that's one of the most powerful questions we can ask ourselves on the other side of tragedy or life change or the death of a dream or whatever transition that we're going through. Who do I want to become and who am I now? And it may be one of the most painful questions we ask ourselves and it may be surprised. The answer may be surprising. And I know for me, I'm still discovering the answer to that question. I'm still surprised and it's still such a mystery to me that I had that life that I loved with my husband 
happened and I was that person in that season of life that I needed to be. And it's Mm -hmm. now, you know, four years later, I'm a completely different person and I'm living a completely different life. And I'm still getting to know this version of myself that I am today. And I think if you're married and in relationship, it's like getting to know your spouse all over again. Who are they now on the other side of that experience? Who are they now that, that you've walked through this together and getting curious and asking questions? And if you're single like me, it's getting curious and asking questions about yourself. Like, what do I like now? What do I, what are my interests now? What are, what are some hobbies that I like maybe interested in now or some things I like to do that I want to do again, or maybe there's something completely different. What are the dreams that God is awakening in my heart? And I think that this is where we get to dream again. This is where we get to ask ourselves, what's the vision that I have for my life for the next five, 10, 15 years? Where do I see myself down the road? What are, what is that? What, what does that new kind of beautiful look like? How can life be beautiful again? What are the steps I can take to get there? And for me, that part has been fun. Um, it's been surprising. It's been exciting. I've taken on things that I would have never taken on before. I mean, even just writing two books, I can't believe the, the version of myself for over four years ago would be so shocked that, <laughs> that I've written two <laughs> books and I've been speaking and traveling and doing all these things that I didn't do. You know, I was a stay-at-home mm-hmm. mom and a pastor's wife and totally terrified of the stage. <laughs> mm. So my life is totally different than it was before. And I've had a lot of fun. Um, Um, even like remodeling our home. Um, Me and my boys, we bought this little fixer upper. And for us, moving has been a big part of our rebuilding journey. Mm. We lived in the city um, close to the church that my husband pastored and in the community with the people that loved him and went to our church. And it was wonderful and necessary for those first few years of grief. But as we healed, I realized like if we want to continue healing, if we want to continue moving forward, we can't stay here. And that's just what we needed. I know that's different for everybody, sure. but for our situation, I felt like we needed to move. And, um, it was 2020, the world was already up. I mean, everything was just up in the air. Everything was changing. And I'm like, you know what, if, if we're going to go, <laughs> we might as well go now. Well, everything's already weird. My kids are already pulled out of school. If there's any time to go now is the time to go. And so we did, we moved an hour, just an hour away from where we lived before to this little tiny beach community. Um, in Southern California. And it has been such a gift. Um, I, in that move, through that move, I gave myself and I gave my boys back the power of our story. And our story um, will no longer be told for us. I felt like where we lived with the school that my boys were going to, their story would have followed them all the way through high school. And the church that their dad pastored was just around the corner. The cemetery was just around the corner. And their story would have been loud and in their face. And through moving, you know, they get to tell their story on their own terms to who they want, when they want, how they want. And the same goes for me too. And so it's been such a powerful gift um, for me and my boys. I had this moment when I first moved into this home, I was standing in my living room and it was like November. We had been here for for about a month and I just got done putting the boys to bed and cleaning up the house. And the, we had our Christmas tree set up. We set up our Christmas tree in November and we had our Christmas tree set up in the corner and the fire was going in the fireplace. And I had this moment and I said the words out loud, I chose 
this. And it was this powerful moment because for so long, for the last two years before that, it felt like life had just happened to me. All these things had just happened to me and I didn't get to choose what happened to me. And it was rattling and shocking. And I was still, you know, it takes a while for the shock to wear off. Mm -hmm. And I realized in that moment that I was finally standing in a life that I chose, that I chose to move, that I chose a fresh start, that I chose to take back the power of our story, that I chose to move forward, that I chose healing. And it was like this celebratory moment. And it brought me to tears. I was standing in my living room crying and I couldn't believe how far we had come in just a couple of years. And so I think for anybody that's going through something painful, like there's a moment like that on the other side for you. Mm. There is a moment where you may just be totally shocked um, when you look around you and you see the the landscape Mm. of your new life and you see the beauty of your new life. And even though it looks completely different than it did before, even though life may never look the way it did before, it is still beautiful. It is still meaningful. It is still purposeful in its own unique way. And um, being aware and catching those moments um, can be one of the greatest gifts. Like lean into those moments, accept the invitation of those moments to just sit back in awe and the mystery of it all, because it is such a mystery. You know, if, if anything my experience has just totally expanded my faith and the way that I look at life and my um, experience with God and my, and my walk with God. It's like, I just realized that life is about holding it all loosely and letting and learning to let go. And when we're able mm-hmm. to welcome our pain and embrace our pain and welcome and embrace the hard things that happen to us, that's where we can begin to let them go. And we can let them transform us and we can let God do the work through us. And um, we can learn to hold life loosely, knowing that it is all such a fleeting, precious gift. Yeah. So, so powerful and such a good reminder. And I would imagine... Um, I know for me in my dark seasons, um, just knowing God's presence. I mean, sometimes you do want to be, you want someone with skin on, right? But just that um, constant presence of God in our life is so important. And particularly in the dark seasons when things, you do feel very alone, but knowing that he is there and he has not left you. And, uh, I, I, those are faith strengthening journeys. Absolutely. So important. Thank you, Kayla. Thank you. You are, um, so well-spoken and just really do a a great job, um, painting a picture, capturing. I, I love the whole, um, the, the decision, like this is a choice I made because sometimes when life throws us a big old curveball. Uh, you're dealing with the choices other people have made. And yeah. you do have to take that back and begin to see the choices that you can make in the midst of that. So uh, I think this has been a very important conversation. So where can people find you online? I'm most active on social media. My Instagram handles Kayla Steck. My website's kaylasteckline.com. 
Okay. And I'll make sure and put that in the show notes. For those of you that are listening, uh, the titles of Kayla's books are Fear Gone Wild is her first book and her newest book is Rebuilding Beautiful. I will also put links to those in the show notes. Kayla, as we bring things to a close, would you be willing to pray for our listeners? Yeah, I'd love to. God, thank you so much that we can have honest and vulnerable conversations about the sharp edges of life. Thank you that you meet us right where we're at in the midst of our pain and that we never walk alone. God, I pray for Mm -hmm. um, the people that are listening to this that maybe feel alone or maybe feel like you're distant or maybe don't feel like there's hope or don't know how to move forward. God, I pray that you would just fill them with supernatural peace, that you would fill them with supernatural hope, that you would surround them with community, God, and show them that there are hands reaching out that would love to share in their suffering, that there are people who would love to wrap their arms around them and hold them and share in their suffering. And God, we thank you that you are there in the suffering, even when we don't feel you, even when we don't see you, God, we know that you are there with us and we never walk alone. Mm -hmm. We love you. We thank you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining me today on the No More Perfect Podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe and follow so you don't miss any future conversations. You can find the show notes and links to anything we talked about over on jillsavage.org slash podcast. I hang out on Facebook and Instagram and would love to connect with you there. You can find me under the name jillsavage.author. One more thing, we have three free ebooks that we'd love to give you. You can find them at jillsavage.org slash free. See you next week where we'll have another conversation about the real stuff of life and relationships.